Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hey everyone, Kevin Cruz here. Welcome back yet again to the LeadX Leadership Show. I wanna thank you because there's nothing more valuable than your time and you've chosen to invest a few of those minutes, maybe even almost an hour <laughs> with us. And this is another one of those special editions. Instead of me interviewing a guest, we've decided to bring back Andy Malinsky, who is one of my favorites. He's a professor at Brandeis University, and he's written a lot of books and articles, and his specialty is how to get you to act outside of your personal and cultural comfort zone, because that's where you're gonna end up doing your best work. And instead of doing an interview, we are going to have him on for a webinar, meaning he's already done a webinar, but you probably didn't see it. All of our webinars, they play live and they get archived in the LeadX Academy. And so here's a chance for you to listen to Andy, to go deep into the topic, and then to take questions from listeners. And I'll be back soon interviewing authors, guests, CEOs, and others very soon. But for now, enjoy Andy Malinsky. Hello, everybody. Welcome to LeadX Webinar Friday. Uh, if you're just joining, please let us know where you're coming from in the chat box. We love to see where everyone is. If you want to ask a question at any point during this webinar, you can do it in the chat box if that's more comfortable, or you can use the Q&A function at the bottom so we know it's a question. It's located on the bottom of your screen. You'll see it across um, as a bar. If you're having any video or audio lag, just make sure all your other browsers are closed, your windows are closed, the bandwidth, uh, it'll really eat up your bandwidth and that can slow it down and cause the lag. So um, without further ado, let me welcome our guest. He is a professor at Brandeis University's International Business School. He received his PhD in organizational behavior from Harvard University and his work helps people develop insights and courage necessary to act outside their comfort zones. Please welcome Andy Malinsky. Oh. There we go. There you go. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, good to have everyone here. I'm very excited to, uh, to join you. I'm just going to share my screen here. Um, Great. I think we're good. So um, again, happy to see you. I saw some of those chats come in. I saw Milwaukee and Poland. So at least we're covering a big spectrum already, which is great. So today we're going to talk about stepping outside your comfort zone. As some of you may know, I've, I've written a new book about this called Reach, um, which came out uh, in at the end of January in 2017. Um, so I actually want to start uh, today uh, with a bit of a confession. Um, in my confession is that it's a little bit funny that I've written a book about stepping outside my comfort zone because I've always been really bad at stepping outside my comfort zone. Um, I was the kid in college who, who was sitting in the back of the class. You know, my heart would feel like it's beating out of my chest. My face would get red. You know, I, I, I would maybe consider raising my hand, but then I would put it down. You know, after college, I might frequently sign up for networking events and then, you know, not go to them. Or maybe I'd make it up the stairs. Maybe it would be in a nice hotel. I'd walk up the stairs and see that room buzzing with all these people talking, looking so confident. 
and then I'd turn back around. Um, I would avoid small talk at parties, I, you know, occasionally, um, but, but for sure, I would avoid giving speeches for years. I remember the very first time I was asked to give a speech. It was about, I guess, 20 years ago. I was at, my first job was as a professor at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. I was a management professor in the business school. And I remember getting calls from places like Fox TV and various other places to give keynote talks. And it wasn't because I was great or anything. It was really just because of my role as I was a professor at USC and they wanted a professor at USC and so on. I remember being terrified of getting these calls. And then when I got them, I was frozen. I felt like such an imposter. Like, what could I possibly add, you know, to, to anything? What could I possibly say? And I remember them asking me, you know, something like, you know, oh, is, 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 is October 18th work for you or something like that? And, you know, I would look at my calendar and back then it was a paper calendar. And actually, to be honest, I still use a paper calendar. Uh, and I would look and October 18th was completely blank, nothing there. Um, it, but I'd have to say, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. October 18th just isn't going to work for me. You know, like praying that they wouldn't say, oh, well, 17th, 19th, 20th. I mean, those work for us. So, so, so yeah. And, and, and nowadays, I have to tell you, it still feels uncomfortable tweeting and posting, especially if it's sort of self-promotional and in the world of being an author and a speaker. And I, and, and I now do online courses that I'm just starting and you kind of have to pitch and promote yourself. And I, I feel uncomfortable doing it, but but I do it. So so my point here is that um, is that it's uncomfortable for me to step outside my comfort zone. Um, and uh, as I started to 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 research this topic, I realized I wasn't alone. <laughs> um, now I don't mean to compare myself to Gandhi here. I know that's kind of the implicit comparison. <laughs> that's not my intention. But you no. Know, so so you might not have known Gandhi was a lawyer. Uh, before he became a you know political activist and, and major you know uh, Indian and world figure, uh, this is what he said uh, as a lawyer. Uh, he he had panic attacks. He said my head was reeling and I felt as though the whole court was doing likewise. I could think of no question to ask. My vision became blurred and I trembled. Um, from from Gandhi to Hugh Grant, uh, th uh, four weddings and a funeral. Or is it three? I think four weddings and a funeral. Notting Hill. You know. You know. You know who Grant. You might not have known that he too suffers from panic attacks, uh, presenting or or being on stage, which of course is quite unfortunate if you're a professional actor. This is what he said. They're awful. Talking about his panic panic attacks. I freeze like a rabbit. I, I can't speak. I can't think. I'm sweating like a bull. I guess he likes these animal images. <laughs> when I got home from doing that job, you know, some, some acting job, I said to myself, no more acting, end of films. And then Natalie Portman, another actress, um, I imagine many of you know who she is. What you might not have known is that she suffers from and has suffered from the imposter syndrome. Um, now, Natalie Portman actually took time out from being an actress to go get her undergraduate degree at Harvard University. Um, and uh, she's, she's a really smart person, uh, but she felt like a complete imposter at Harvard. And this is what she says about herself there. I felt like there had been some mistake, in other words, getting accepted. Uh, that I wasn't smart enough to be in this company, and that every time I opened my mouth, I would have to prove that I wasn't just a dumb actress. And, and if, if you look um, for, for Natalie Portman on YouTube, you'll find that she comes back to Harvard about maybe 10, 15 years later to speak to graduates and essentially reveals, comes out and says, you know, this is what I was feeling. And, and I'll bet you I'm not alone. I'll bet you there are people in the audience who, who feel just like 
this. Um, so, so I wanted to find an answer to this. You know, I struggle stepping outside my comfort zone. I realize other people struggle stepping outside their comfort zone. So, so, so how can we understand this? In other words, you know, how can we understand what the challenges are, how to address those challenges and so on. And so, so I initially, at least I went where many people would go in 2000, what was it? 14, 15 to try to figure out an answer. I Googled it and this is what I found. I found, um, you've probably seen this meme before, uh, that, that there's a gap between your comfort zone and where the magic happens. And, and, and for sure, according to the internet, the magic is not happening in your comfort zone, right? Uh, you need to step out and reach outside your comfort zone. Um, what else did I find? Keep calm and get out of your comfort zone. Life begins when you let go and step outside of your comfort zone. Great things never come from comfort zones. You see here, uh, comfort zones get a real bad reputation uh, on Google. <laughs> um, leap out of your comfort zone. To do today, leave my comfort zone. Here's the most iconic image I, you find, and you've probably seen some version of this with a fish jumping out of the fishbowl, jumping out of his or her comfort zone. And I have to say, every time I look at it, I'm always afraid that fish isn't gonna make it. You, you, see, you see that? <laughs> I um, um, maybe it's the realist in me. Anyways, that's that's what you find. And so, so if you put it all together, what I found my quick glance at Google was the conventional wisdom. And what that conventional wisdom essentially was was you know with enough inspiration, anyone can stretch outside their comfort zone. Um, and and that all it takes to step outside your comfort zone is 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 taking a leap. But but I was curious is is that really true? Um, is that really true? With, with enough inspiration, anyone can stretch outside their comfort zone? That wasn't my story. That wasn't my case. I certainly had um, inspiration to step outside my comfort zone, but it felt like it took more than that, more than just pure um, inspiration. In psychology, actually, we say that, 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 that anything, to do anything, really, it, it requires motivation and ability, and inspiration is motivation, but where's the ability here? Where's the strategy? Where's the know-how? Where's the insight? Um, number two, all it takes to step outside your comfort zone is taking a leap. That was not true for me. I was not leaping you know, off of buildings and out of airplanes and so on. It's hard to take that leap. That's the point. There's a lot of work that it takes in order to get the get to that point where you can take a leap. Now, taking a leap is critical. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It's really critical, in fact. Um, it's the only way you're going to grow and learn. But but it's not as easy as snapping your fingers and taking that leap. There's a there's a lot. There's a backstory behind it. If you peel behind the curtain and you look and see. So 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 that was the conventional wisdom. Um, what I decided to do was to use my training. I'm a, I'm a researcher. Um, I, I have a PhD in organizational behavior and psychology. And so I, I decided to do research and try to figure out um, across professions, across situations, uh, what, what were the challenges of stepping outside your comfort zone? You know, how do people address those challenges? And so I spoke with uh, managers, executives, um, uh, at Fortune 500 companies and, and elsewhere, um, delivering bad news, um, uh, performing layoffs, firing people, those kinds of situations outside their comfort zones. I spoke to entrepreneurs pitching and promoting their ideas and themselves. You know, if anyone's a fan of the show Shark Tank in the U.S., and I know there are different versions of Shark Tank around the world. I think in Canada it's called Dragon's Den and various other probably versions in other countries. Um, you know, I, I spoke with entrepreneurs, especially young ones, trying to pitch themselves in their companies. They felt 
they felt like imposters, you know, sort of like pretending, putting on their grown-up voices and so on. I spoke to doctors. Um, now, these were actually pediatric physicians, so doctors for children, um, uh, performing painful procedures on children. Uh, and, and then, of course, um, delivering um, the news, sometimes bad news, to families. And I have to tell you that right around the time I was doing this research, my own daughter, well, actually, let me pause here and tell you my daughter's fine. She's totally fine. Okay, but you need to know that for me to tell you the story. Uh, right around that time when I was doing this research, my own daughter um, had to have a spinal tap. She was six days old, not six years old, six days old. She was crying uncontrollably. We didn't know what was wrong. Um, we went to the local children's hospital, which is a really a great children's hospital, and they said she needed to have a spinal tap. She had to have, um, they had to examine her cerebral spinal fluid to figure out what was wrong and to rule out meningitis. Um, I remember so well um, holding her, a six-day-old or seven-day-old child, um, where they took this massive needle, put it in her back, and it was not only a harrowing experience for me and my wife, but also the, the idea of what, what, what the negative result could be. Um, and then, of course, I had just been interviewing doctors about their experiences doing these things. So now I, I preface this, of course, by telling you my daughter's fine. She And I, I wanted to tell you that she is fine. She was fine. She's a happy, healthy kid. It turned out she just cried a lot. <laughs> you know. Um, but anyways, that's doctors. Police officers. I studied police officers performing evictions, evicting people from their homes. Um, I hung out for about a month at a police station, um, interviewed a lot of police officers. And by the way, the stories, if you've heard of them, of, of donuts and coffee for police officers is true. They, they do eat a lot of donuts. <laughs> and I ended up eating a lot of donuts and, and, and drinking coffee. Um, I also went on what they call a ride along. So I, I went on a day of evictions. So I had the, the bulletproof vest. I was in the back of a police car and we went around a big metropolitan city performing uh, 20 evictions, evicting 20 people from their homes. I got a, a chance to experience it firsthand. Um, and that was, that was quite eye-opening and interesting. Also being, of course, in the police car and hearing the conversations among the two um, police officers who went together in tandem. Actors, students, priests. Now, that's an Episcopal priest. That's why it's a, a female. Rabbis, even a goat farmer. I don't have a picture of a goat farmer here, but in the situations were all sorts of situations. So entrepreneur Lily Chang, I actually opened my book Reach with a story about how she had to fire her underperforming best friend from her startup business. And imagine how hard that could be. Um, Deputy Laura Harris having to evict individuals and, and families uh, from their homes. And I, I saw that one firsthand. Um, uh, account manager Annie Harris. Now, this was a really interesting story, a poignant story, and I carry this throughout the, the book. Um, Annie, it turns out, worked for a high net worth, um, uh, I'm sorry, uh, an investment firm that, that tries to recruit high net worth people really rich people, to invest their money in the firm. Um, her job is to try to find those people, build those relationships. Now, the protocol at the firm was to bring, you, you had to bring a portfolio manager, someone, and she was a relationship manager, and she had to bring a portfolio manager, someone in, you know, who knew the stocks and bonds and ins and outs of the market. His name was Rick, Rick Schmitz, and it turns out he was a complete jerk. He would undermine her at 
every point, every, every chance. And, and, and for example, she might say, Rick, you know, this, this particular client really cares about taxes and tax issues with their investments. Please pay attention to that and come up with some ideas and a plan and so on. And, and Rick would sort of dismiss her and say, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then when they were in the meeting, he would undermine her by, by, by sort of minimizing the importance of taxes and almost mocking her for it. And she was livid angry you can imagine what it was like and this a version of this kept happening and 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 she she felt she had to confront him but but annie was a fairly timid person modest person um she was not assertive and it was she, she at first she she couldn't do it um eventually she was able to and we'll, we'll talk about that um and dr joshua green having to perform painful procedures on young children so the three questions that i was interested in were questions I was interested in myself, and I imagine that you would be interested in too. Uh, and that's what my book reaches about. You know, why is it so hard to act outside your comfort zone? Um, how do we avoid doing it? And I imagine we all we all do some way or another. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure all of us do, <laughs> me included. Um, and what does it take to do it successfully? So as we go through this, of course, you know, I actually do a lot of um, work in companies. I do workshops in companies. I do coaching. I'm even creating an online training course where people uh, apply these ideas um, with my help and the help of a coach in a real situation. Um, now, of course, we can't do that. I can't even see you. Um, and we're not in the same place or working together. But just as a thought exercise, as we go through this material here, think of a situation of your own. Think of something that's outside your comfort zone. Is it, is it networking? Is it pitching and promoting yourself at a networking event? Is it interviewing? Uh, is it making small talk? Delivering bad news, speaking in public, acting assertively? Is it something else? Because I, I think if you, if, you, if you have that, or if you have a piece of paper, write it down. Write it down because it, it, I think you'll find it interesting as we go through, you can apply even quickly or even in your head some of the ideas that we're talking about. So let's pause here and look at question one. Why is it so hard to act outside your comfort zone? And as we go into that right before, I'm going to take a little sip. So why is it so hard to act outside your comfort zone? Let me cut to the chase. This is what I found. I found five core challenges, authenticity, likability, competence, resentment, and morality. And let's talk through those. So authenticity is the idea that this doesn't feel natural to me. This, remember, you're stepping outside your comfort zone in whatever situation it is. I'm not used to this. I feel awkward. This doesn't feel natural. I might even feel like a poser or, or maybe, maybe, maybe an imposter. That's the authenticity challenge. Likeability. The worry that they won't like this version of me or on the cusp of potentially trying something, what if they don't like this version of me? Like Annie, thinking about Rick, we talked about before. What if Rick hates me? What if, what if people hate this assertive version of me, right? That's likeability. Competence. The fear that you're not good at this. Again, this is something outside your comfort zone. What if I'm, what if I'm bad at this? And, and by the way, what if it's obvious I'm bad at this? So there's a private and a public side to this. 
resentment. I'm annoyed I have to do this in the first place. I can't tell you how many um, introverts I've spoken to who have, who have said some version of this, like let's say their situation might be small talk that they struggle with, making small talk with people that they don't know. And, and it's so frustrating to them and they feel so much resentment about the fact that they have to do it in the first place and why can't their skills matter? Why can't their qualifications matter? And of course they do, but then they see their colleague who's really good at making small talk and chit-chatting about last night's game or whatever it might be, and they're the ones who get those opportunities, right? And, and so you can feel very resentful about the fact that you have to step outside your comfort zone. And then morality, uh, the feeling that I'm doing something wrong here, right? And, and, and I, you, you, don't, you don't find that as much, but you certainly find it. So here's some other quick examples. Authenticity, pretending to put, up, put, put on your grown-up voice when pitching to venture capitalists, that's an example. Likeability we talked about. Competence, you know, afraid you'll, you'll look like a fool giving a public speech. Resentment, we talked about that. And then morality, and how about um, Lily Chang, the story I told you before about having, her having to fire her best friend. Um, other entrepreneurs told me that they felt this morality challenge trying to recruit people to their firm. Let's say you only have a couple months runway left, in other words, a funding left for your firm. In order for your firm to succeed, you have to recruit the very best people. But to get the very best people, you can't tell them the whole story. You can't say, you know, by the way, I only have two months of assured funding, right? Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but people struggled with that. Um, so that's morality. There are other examples of morality we could get into as well. But when I, when I go into companies and I work through this, it's, it's a really insightful exercise to see where uh, individuals and also where teams sort of pain points are on the spectrum. So, so think to yourself, take a moment. Uh, what are your core challenges? Now, it might not be all of them. It, in fact, it's rarely all of them. It might be one in your situation. It might be two, it might be three. What's your cocktail? What's your, what's your set of core challenges that you face? So that's question one, uh, why is it hard? Question two, how do we avoid acting outside our comfort zone? So how, how do we avoid it? And we all do in some way. And of course there's a good and a bad of avoidance, right? The, the good part of avoidance, you know, is the whole reason people avoid, which is relief, right? <laughs> you know, you get to avoid whatever it is. Like, phew, I don't have to give that speech or oof. Oh God, that networking event was going to be stressful. I'm glad I don't have to do it. But of course, the problem is that it's a vicious cycle and it just makes it harder the next time around. So by the way, if you avoid, you're not alone. Uh, many uh, well-known, very accomplished people are notorious avoiders in some ways, or at least they've admitted to, to being such. Uh, Warren Buffett was so nervous. I love to see this because I did this too. Was so nervous about speaking in class that he purposely selected classes with no public speaking requirement to them. Um, Adele was so nervous that in, she's notoriously uncomfortable on stage, as, as is true of many musicians and actors, interestingly. She once escaped uh, uh, through, through a fire exit in the Netherlands. Um, and Emma Watson, you know, of Hermione Granger, Harry Potter fame, um, she is notoriously uncomfortable with small talk, and she talked about how she often heads for the bathroom just to escape conversation. And it's funny, actually, I've talked with a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, um, 
you know, business people who do that too. They go to a networking event, let's say, and let's say there's like about a 45 minute networking part. And then there's a speech that you get to listen to. And for some people, it's so uncomfortable making that, you know, chit chat and small talk that they, that they, you know, of course, pretend maybe to be busy on their cell phone, or they actually go to the bathroom and just like sit in there. And sometimes these hotel bathrooms are, are nice. But anyways, it's an example. So how do we avoid what do we do? Well, in some cases, of course, we don't do it at all. And that's like my case when I was at USC giving speeches and avoiding the speech, right? Um, sometimes we do it, but only part way. So we only deliver part of the negative feedback we need to deliver. That's an example. Number three would be what I call substitution or imperfect substitution. We replace it, but with an, in, in, we replace whatever it is, but with an easier task, but a task that's probably not as good or not, or an alternative that's not as good. So, so I spoke with, for example, small business owners who were, who had to go to networking events, but felt very uncomfortable kind of pitching themselves, maybe even selling. A lot of people feel uncomfortable selling by the way, me included. Um, and, and so they say to themselves, you know what, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, but I'll just send an email blast or, or, or you know, press send or I'll, I'll, I'll use social media, you know, which, which those aren't bad, but, but they're all also not a replacement necessarily for that sort of in-person uh, connection. You know, depending on the business and so on, but but in their case it wasn't. Uh, procrastinate, you know, in, instead of making an early prototype or or, or putting something out there, uh, we tinker and tinker and tinker and perfect it. Right when the reality is is that it's really important to put something out there, whatever it is, really, um, to, to your beta version to get feedback, and then you can sort of um, work on it and uh, respond to real uh, feedback, and then and then improve it and so on. And but some people are so afraid to put it out there in the first place. Uh, that they that they procrastinate. You, you might pass the buck, have someone else do something that really should probably be you doing it. Um, and then number six, you know, telling yourself it's not really that important that I you know do public speaking. It's not that important that I um, I don't know uh, be assertive to Rick Schmitz. Um, you know, he'll change his behavior at some point, right? I, I don't really have to confront him. When you know what, you probably do. Right, so so think to yourself again. We, you, you've 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 done this exercise a little a little bit before with your psychological challenges. How about your avoidance tendencies? Where do you tend to avoid? You know, maybe you have um, sort of a set of different avoidance tendencies. Where are yours? You know, think think for a moment. Now, of course, there's a vicious cycle of avoidance that we alluded to earlier. You're worried and anxious. Uh, you, you avoid the situation. You get that short-term relief. But then again, you're even more worried the next time. So that brings us to question number three. How can you step outside your comfort zone, rise to the challenge, and build confidence, which happens to be the subtitle of my book, <laughs> Reach. Um, and of course, this would also be like a really bad webinar or really bad book if I, if I didn't kind of address part three. That's, that's like the money question, right? Like, what do you actually do? And what did I find from, 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 from all these people that I spoke with? And I should also mention, as I did before, I work with people and I work with companies on this stuff too. So I see it in action as well. Um, what I found is that it all boiled down to three key tools. I call them conviction, customization, and clarity. And we'll sort of touch on each of them. And again, as we're going through, you can start to think, huh, where could my source of conviction be? Hmm, where could I find customization and so on? So that'll give you an opportunity. So conviction, the first one. 
it's a it's it's that deep sense of purpose you know it's almost like giving yourself psychological permission to do something that you would otherwise avoid like an antidote it doesn't erase your discomfort but it gives you that motivation that drive that sense of purpose to take action despite the discomfort you experience, right? So, so there are many different sources of conviction. Maybe you decide for yourself, this is the right thing for me to do. It's a necessary thing and so on and so forth. Uh, I actually, to be honest, often find two core sources of conviction. One is professional you know, whatever it might be, like, like we really need to do this um, to, 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 to make a difference in our, in our clients' or customers' lives. And, and I know it's hard for me, but, but I really need to do this. Or I've always wanted to be a manager. I've always dreamed of starting my own business. And if it takes X, Y, or Z, which are outside my comfort zone, I'm willing to do it, right? That's, that, those are all professional. Personal is a little different. Um, now, of course, professional and personal blend, of course, but, you know, personal is different. You know, f for me, for example, I, I have two kids, um, uh, an 11 and a 13-year-old, and I, I'm always trying to coax them outside their comfort zone <laughs> in, in an age-appropriate way, right? And, um, and so then I look at myself in the mirror and say, you know, um, um, am, I, am I practicing what I preach? You know, am I, am I the role model I want to be? You know, because that's really the most important role I occupy in my life, really. So, so, um, so, so, so that's super uh, powerful for me. You know, wherever it comes from for, for you, whether it's personal, whether it's professional, where it's a blend, find it, embrace it. It is really a powerful source that you have. Um, so here's some examples. Lily Chang firing her best friend. You know, I, this is what she said. I, I need to do what's best for my business, my investors, and all the other employees who sacrificed higher paying jobs to join her startup. Right, so she had multiple sources of conviction. Or, or Annie standing up to Rick Schmitz. I want to be strong and credible, and, and eventually executive material. And, and I, she said, I also need to explain to him the effect his actions are having on me, or, or how else could he change? So, th th I thought, you know, those, those are interesting. So, so think to yourself, you know, what is your source of conviction for for the for the situation that you've thought about? So that's conviction. Customization is really cool. This is, this is the second thing I found. And this was, I just kept seeing this. No one was calling it customization, but I, I kept seeing people do it. And it's really powerful. Um, we live in an era of customization. Many of you probably customized your coffees today or in the recent past with a squirt of this or uh, some this kind of milk or that kind of foam or whatever it might be. We customize a lot and you can do the same thing with your behavior. There's no one size fits all version of any situation. And that's the power here because a lot of people feel powerless when stepping outside their comfort zone, but you have more power than you think to customize and to tweak. Um, so there are many ways to do this. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about a few. Your body language, props, the context, language, timing, but there are others too. So body language, maybe for you, it's, it's, it's a power pose. Now, some of you or many of you might be familiar with Amy Cuddy's work on power poses. You might also know that uh, it's, it's been questioned in the scientific um, um, 
community. So take this with a grain of salt. There's been at least one study that shows this, but that, that, that you can move from a low power pose to a high power pose. These would be higher power poses. And, and, and that there's actually physiological changes in you that your testosterone, your power hormone increases and your cortisol uh, anxiety hormone decreases. Now, anecdotally, I can tell you that Annie Harris, the person I've been telling you about, she used, not the power pose, but she used body language. Uh, she told me that when, and I wish we were in the same place because we could, if we were all in the same um, um, uh, room, I could show you this, but I'll, I'll try to describe it to you. She, she said to me, to get up the courage to speak to him, she walked down the hall like this. She said, just like I was an executive, that's what she said. And then she opened his door. She didn't knock. She opened his door. That's non-verbal. Non she went over to his desk, she said, and she put her hands on the desk like this and started talking to him. And I said, oh, was that a power pose? And she said, no, I was just afraid I was going to faint. <laughs> But anyway, so she used uh, body language in a way. Props. This is an interesting one. Sometimes you can use a prop, a physical item to an event. Um, uh, I actually, so, so sometimes it could be your power suit. Sometimes it could be a locket that has a personal picture of your grandmother that means something to you. This is a ring, and I, I should have worn it today. I didn't, but you can see it right there. Um, this ring here is something I wore every single time I gave a talk probably like the first couple of years. Um, it's the, the stone there, which you see is a tiger's eye stone that my great uncle found on the beaches of the South Pacific in World War II. He was in the Navy. Um, and and he, he, he came back and had it made into a ring. And I always admired it. And I eventually inherited it. And, and it always meant courage to me. For, you know, because of how he acquired the stone. And, and I started wearing it. And, and, and it just was like this little boost to me that I would think to myself, you know, when I was just about to be afraid to speak in public, I'd think to myself, huh, if he was able to do that, I could do this, right? There are many examples of props and maybe we can get into more of them in the Q&A, but it's actually quite powerful. And, and there's some cool examples that, that, that you can think of. Um, the context, um, Mark Twain, I love this. He used to uh, basically stage the context. He says, I got a number of my friends, stalwart men, to sprinkle themselves through the audience. He was afraid of public speaking, armed with big clubs. And every time I said anything they could possibly guess I intended to be funny, they were to pound those clubs on the floor, which I thought is interesting. He basically staged the context. I actually got an email from a banker who told me that he did the exact, well, not the exact same thing, similar thing. He, he would fly up a friend of his um, uh, to, 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 to sit eighth row center whenever he spoke early in his career and just sort of like, you know, clapping or nodding and just giving, you know, just sort of populating the audience with, fre with, with friendly faces. Um, Richard Branson, I thought this is interesting. He doesn't feel comfortable giving sort of full-on speeches, so he makes them into Q&As. Again, he's, he's tweaking. He's customizing. Uh, sometimes it's your language. Um, I thought this is a good example. This was a, this is a customer service rep from an organization that sources um, caregivers and babysitters, sort of, sort of like care.com, but not care.com. Um, and, and, and there was a fine print policy that she, that, that actually a lot of people felt was unfair. I think it was a recurring payment. And it was really unfair that this was happening without people knowing it. And she was the person fielding these calls and she would get these angry calls. And, and she literally had to say, these, this script, I'm sorry if you weren't aware of this policy. And she felt awful every single time because 
you know, she felt to herself, first of all, she didn't think it was a fair policy. And she also felt, of course, they're unaware of it. It was like teeny fine print. And so she ended up customizing what she said, which you can see below. And ultimately, it was more comfortable for her. She actually ended up helping to get the policy changed. Uh, but, but, but that's a little subtle example. Um, and then timing. Maybe you choose a certain time of day or you know, I'll give you a good example. Uh, a lot of people are afraid of networking, big, loud, noisy, intimidating networking events. But if you play with timing a little bit and you go at the very beginning of an event, it's going to be less big, less loud, less noisy, right? That's just tweaking through timing. The point is that you have many tools at your disposal. You're less sort of helpless than you think to actually make a situation your own. That's customization. It's really powerful. So we've got conviction, we've got customization, we're closing in on the finish line here. The last tool I wanna to just mention briefly here is clarity. Clarity is like having an honest, balanced, even-handed perspective. Oftentimes, um, when we're afraid of something, we do what psychologists call catastrophizing, thinking of the absolute worst case scenario. And what clarity is, is it's that ability that I saw that successful people had to kind of capture the more realistic middle ground. So to, uh, as I say here, normalize distorted thinking. So from I'll never be able to do this, which a lot of us feel emotionally, to you know, there are parts I struggle with, um, but other parts I'm better at, or I know I'll feel completely false and fake. See the never and the completely, right? Those are sort of extreme, catastrophizing, and then to kind of bring it into the center. Um, and the goal is, is, is really sort of that balanced perspective, understanding that mistakes, missteps, in other words, are, are, are part of the learning process to try to develop more of a learning orientation and, and a more rational learning orientation around the process. So here is why these are important. And this is kind of like the big thing here that, that we talked earlier about taking a leap, right? What conviction, customization, and clarity can do is they can enable you to take a leap. And when you're able to take a leap, that's actually where the magic happens. So we looked at that cycle before, that avoidance cycle. Here's a different cycle. You're worried and anxious, but you apply these tools, right? Customization, conviction, clarity. You nudge yourself to being able to take a leap. And there's the potential, which I find happens a lot, and I kept hearing it time and time again, was self-discovery. You're never going to have self-discovery if you avoid. But if you get yourself to try something and you set up the conditions for success, what people often report is one of two things, sometimes both. Number one, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. And number two, I'm actually better at this than I thought I was, right? And if you think about it, those are super powerful forms of self-discovery that only come from taking a leap, which then reduce your anxiety, and this is key, encourage you to try it again, to get on a virtuous, positive spiral as opposed to that negative um, avoidance spiral we talked about before. I'm gonna end here with two final slides. The first is I wanna just go back to conventional wisdom piece of advice number one from the beginning of our talk, right? That all it takes to step outside your comfort zone is taking a leap. I think the reality is that few people spontaneously leap outside their comfort zone, but rather that leap is the result of considerable thinking and deliberation, and I'd also say strategy. And then conventional wisdom piece of advice number two, with enough inspiration 
anyone can stretch outside their comfort zone. I absolutely believe anyone can do it, but it takes more than just inspiration. It takes effort. It takes persistence. It takes strategy. It takes that keen insight and understanding of the challenges that we talked about before that I feature in my book and my training and my coaching and all that kind of stuff. So that's really the, the, the key about stepping outside your comfort zone. And that brings us to the end. Um, and with that, I am more than happy to answer any questions that you have. Thanks, Andy. We've got a couple of good ones coming in here. If anybody wants to ask him a question, just submit it using the Q&A function. It's on the bottom, or you can just type it in the chat and I'll find it and I'll give it to Andy. So the first one here is from Eleanor. Speaking in public makes me incredibly nervous. It's my biggest fear, but my boss wants me to speak at an upcoming event. Any tips for practicing so I can get better first? Yeah, it's too bad that your boss wants you to speak at a big event. <laughs> that would be the first, you know, piece of advice that, you know, you've some some of you out there have, ever, have heard of the idea of going from couch to 5K or couch to 10K. If you're not a runner and you're kind of a couch potato and you stay on the couch, I don't think that means literally going from the couch to running a 10K. Usually it means setting up a series of um, stretches for yourself. And that's how I always structure my training. So what I would recommend is if you have time to try to create a series of opportunities for you to get your sea legs, for you to experiment, for you to customize, for you to find out what works for you, right? And then to build up to that. Um, I would also say in terms of public speaking, I think there's a lot of terrible advice out there in public speaking, such as like maybe you've heard of the idea of like, you know, um, imagine your audience in their underwear or something like that. Have you ever, maybe you've heard that. I, yeah. I think that, I think that piece of advice actually, the advice itself is a terrible piece of advice. I think it's creepy. It's weird, but the underlying piece of advice is important, which is the, the meta message there. The underlying piece of advice is um, what can you do to make yourself more comfortable? Now for some person at some point in time, it was imagine people are in their underwear, but that's the wrong piece of advice. The real advice mm -hmm. is the root of that, which is what can you do to make it more comfortable? And that's where customization comes in. Maybe, maybe there's something you can do. You can try out, you can experiment. It's like a recipe. The other thing I would tell you that is a, which I think is a terrible piece of advice is to watch Ted talks. Um, no, I've done a TED talk, but, 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 uh, but I think that, I think that beginning speakers get de um, demoralized. Um, watching Makes them it. more nervous. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it, it's like, oh my gosh, that's what I have to be able to do. I think that's that's terrible advice, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think that I, now it's not bad advice if you're a experienced speaker and you want to go from you know good to great. Sure, right. abso absolutely. But but mm -hmm. when you're more of a novice, I think it's actually not a good place to look because <laughs> it feels like you're never going to get there. So it's even exactly. worse. Yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting. Um, we've got a question here from Tanya. What does Andy think of committing to someone else that you're going to do something by a certain time? Yeah, I think public commitment's important. I talk about that in my book. I think that's, you know, there's, there's psychology, there's psychology research that's, that describes the power of a public commitment. So, you know, if that works for you, again, by the way, that's a customization that might work for you. Even though there's psychological research that suggests something, if you dig into the studies, it's not a hundred percent of people. It's usually mm -hmm. a, it's usually a statistically significant amount of people compared to the control. So in other words, it doesn't mean that everyone it worked for, right? So if it works for you, it works for you. And, and, and there is some evidence that, it, that, it's, that, it's a, that it's a useful tool. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people do that with exercising routines. You know, like I'm going to lose so many pounds by this date and they post it publicly. And Yeah, and, but, but I, what, what I would say is 
what you want to do when stepping outside your comfort zone is you want to stack the deck, right? You don't want to just do that. Maybe you do that plus you do some of these other things we talked about, right? right. You know, there's no there's no harm in stacking the deck in your favor. Yeah, yeah, that's good advice. Um, here, this one's from Michelle. I never know how to end a conversation when I'm at a conference. It always seems awkward. How do I say goodbye without sounding rude? <laughs> good one. Uh, <laughs> um, I, the first thing to, to, to know is that it's no offense to you, but it's quite possible they're interested in ending the conversation as well. <laughs> so don't, 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 right, don't worry about that. If they're at a networking event or something like that, people get it, right? People get that they're expiration dates on conversations. There are things that you can do subtly to, to end a conversation. A couple of my favorite are uh, previewing. So in other words, saying sort of towards where you're sensing you might want to leave, say, you know, something like, I, I actually have to go in a minute, if that's true, or I, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. When you say it, but I've really enjoyed speaking yeah. with you. I'm wondering if, you know, no, it depends what your goal is. Like if you want to right. meet with me again or something, you could say, I really enjoyed speaking with you. I was, I was wondering, would you be willing if I follow up with an email, if, if that's your goal? That's a great or, idea. You know what I mean? There, there are many ways that you can kind of preview through your language and sort of like get someone to realize it so that it's not so abrupt. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that, that's one thing. Another thing, of course, is the old standby of, um, of, of, of saying, you know, that you want to go get a drink or, 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 or you know, in saying you, you want, um, would you like to come? I'm, I'm interested in getting a drink or something like that. And then knowing that probably between where you are and the drink table, there'll probably be other people who might interrupt you, which is almost like a natural, um, way of ending a conversation <laughs> but that that, that yeah. of course that of course depends on whether you're an event where you know people so you know yeah, yeah or if they go yeah sure let's go together this is exactly the kind of thing that i think it's is is worth working on um more one-on-one -on -one with people because you know it's it's you're getting into the weeds here which is great but but it's yeah. it's, it's hard it's sometimes harder to give sort of generic advice on this yeah, very true. Uh, this one's from Isabella. Hi, Andy. Consciously, I have no problem with stepping out of the comfort zone, but then I often realize that I self-sabotage. How to deal with this? I guess I'd have to know what self-sabotage means. You know what I mean? I like, guess, um, yeah, maybe like they get ready to step outside the comfort zone, but then... Yeah, it's hard. Again, it somehow. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, again, it's... it's um, this is this is where the devil's in the details in a way, right? And in fact, I think this is actually a, one of the big reasons why um, why doing we talked about public commitment, we talked about other stuff. This is why I created this course. I'm create I created an online training course and um, to help people step outside their comfort zone um, and. And I think that once you sign up for a course and you're part of a course and you have a community and so on and so forth, and you have steps built in, I think that's, that's key. Now you don't have to sign up for my course, but, but doing some sort of program, I think often helps. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. This is Andy from Long Island. I am one of the owners of a family owned and operated label printing company. We employ about 50 people. One of the things outside my comfort zone is addressing our team publicly. In other words, they don't hear from me or my brother or my partner enough for them to know where we're leading the company. Do you have any suggestions as to how to step out of my comfort zone in that regard? I think that what I would say is, um, I would say, um, try to understand what's holding you back. Do you know what I mean? I think that's, I think that that's a good, so, so in, in that example, 
and it sounds like your 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 team and your company would really benefit from you from you doing that. You know, people want to hear from from the people who lead them, but mm -hmm. but I think it's I think you'd want to really try to understand what's holding you back. I think that and and then and then from that that's where you then once you can kind of try to um, zero in on that. I think that's where the leverage point is for trying to create a plan to step outside. But I wouldn't, you know what I mean? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to suggest something generic without understanding what the, what the underlying challenge is. Okay. Yeah. Maybe he'll put in some more um, in a minute. So Simon says, thank you, Andy. This is amazing information for people who want to begin the process of pushing comfort zones. Are there small tried and true acts which are universal and get us feeling excited and confident to continue? I think, I think, I think starting, I think, I think setting yourself up for success, right? I think that's the key thing, you know, starting, starting, starting small. I've never done, and I probably should do one of these couch to 5k things because I can see what they do. I'm, I'll bet you that they, they build on the idea of small wins, doable stretches. Like if you think about it, there's a comfort zone, there's a stretch zone, and there's a panic zone. You want to try to set yourself up so you're nudging towards your stretch zone, right? That's where you're stretching. I don't think you want to go immediately to your panic zone. That was my fear of the uh, person who chatted in before about her boss asking her to, to speak in a big conference without having much speaking experience. That to mm -hmm. me went from the comfort zone to the panic zone, which is tough, right? right? Yeah, almost impossible. You need a you need a bridge. You need a bridge, and and you know that's that's where my work comes in, and I I try to help people with that bridge, whether it's through my writing or my teaching or my training and so on and so forth. But I think you need that bridge. Yeah. Um, all right. This one is coming from Tracy. How can I open a conversation without sounding like I'm fishing for leads, like at a com uh, conference or networking event? Like, how do you kind of go into that? Well, I think that I, th I think that it's sort of like it would be sort of like conversation 101 in terms of like starting conversations. And, and even though you might have a goal that's an instrumental goal, right, an instrumental goal of getting leads and so on, it's it's never going to work if it's clear that that's your goal. You right. know what I mean? I think it's it's rarely going to work. I think what you want to do is you want to try to build um, rapport. You know, you want to build rapport. You want to build a sense of kind of quick trust in a way. And I think that, that that comes from sort of the the nuts and bolts, the bread and butter of, of, of making small talk effectively, you know, and, and, and that, that's, um, that, that's a whole other, actually, that's a whole other webinar, really, you know, in, ter in terms of how to, how to, how to do that. But, I, you know, I've thought a lot about that. And I've got, you know, I, I help people with that. So yeah, um, we got a good comment about that, actually. Uh, fishing for leads, networking is about giving before you ask. Yeah, Listen yeah. and be interested in other people uh, before and ask how you can help them. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. I, I get oftentimes people actually, it's, it's, almost, it's interesting. There seems to be in the zeitgeist of business communication these days, that, that idea of like, how can I be helpful to you? And I get that from a lot of people, people saying to me at the end of a conversation, how can I be helpful to you? And it's almost as if they're saying it because they know they're supposed to say it, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to you wanna be careful not only about your words, but also about the meta message behind your words, like how people are going to take and interpret your words, right? And that all often comes from your attitude, right? Yeah. So, so it's not a script. It's not sort of a superficial script. It's a deeper attitude that then gets revealed in the communication. Yeah, that's really true. I had someone say the same thing. I was helping them out yesterday in a marketing group um, on Facebook. And he said, Oh, thank you. How can I help yeah. you? What do you need me to promote? And it's like, Right, exactly. You. It's like, yeah, it's, it's like, a little weird. It's as if like it was like one of those bots on the computer. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, so Stefana's asking, how can I build a habit out of taking a leap? Oh, well, I think that that I think that that's sort of self reinforcing, um, right. you know, and, and I think that I think timing comes in here, too. You know, if you do something very, very, very rarely, that's why, by the way, it's so hard for people to like um, uh, in, in companies to like lay off people or deliver bad news because it's because they do it so infrequently. Right. Versus mm -hmm. like, think about it. You do that very infrequently versus, um, you know, doctors performing painful procedures. They do that every day. Like when that those doctors were doing that spinal tap on my daughter, you know, for me, it's always true of a patient-doctor relationship, but as, as a patient, for me, you know, it's always very poignant as a patient, right? But the doctor's probably done 10 others that day and has done 40 during the week. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's like changing a tire. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but that still makes you really nervous. You, it does, but there's two yeah. sides of the experience, you know? Right, right. Okay, we've got one here. Sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong. Anos is asking, I get nervous and can't concentrate when I'm in uncomfortable situations. What are your suggestions to reduce this? I guess it depends on the, what, what kind of uncomfortable situation, right? I mean, that's another right. one where, where um, and I'm sorry to hear it I, for sure. A lot of people feel that way, but it really, you kind of have to kind of dig in a little bit more personally in terms of understanding why, what, and so on. But, but there's, there's for sure hope. I mean, a lot of people feel that way and a lot of people are able to kind of improve. And I've seen it with the work that I do. It's, it's very gratifying to see people move from a situation where they're really kind of scared or avoiding something to, to where they, they don't usually go from like zero to 60. Like you don't change like that, but, yeah. but you do change and people start to, to, to feel more confidence about, you know, the, the, see a light at the end of the tunnel and, and to start to really have the courage and confidence to make it into a habit and to try it. And that's, 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 that's gratifying and, and certainly possible, but it's hard to give that advice kind of um, generically. Right. Yeah. It depends on the situation, but I guess if you do yeah. everything over and over, it, it will become a habit, get easier. Well, um, it's, they, it's, um, they call it desensitization a bit, you know, that's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, so Sophie is um, expanding on a question from earlier about the self-sabotage. I know Sophie. So if you procrastinate and you arrive late to the event, so you were excited about this networking event, but you procrastinate, so you're late, so now you can't network. So you kind of ruined it for yourself, even though. I see. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so, right. Yeah. Well, and, and I imagine that part of that comes from a bit of a um, perfectionistic view in a self-standard in a way, you know, mm -hmm. like, like us, Carol Dweck is a psychologist. Some of you might know about like learning orientations versus performance orientations. Like, you know, can you, can you cut yourself the slack to, to see these challenging situations for yourself through the lens of learning? You know what I mean? That, Hey, yes, you, you, maybe self-sabotage is a frame that you're putting on the situation that comes from a perf perfectionist orientation. But if you think about it through a learning orientation, maybe you actually had the courage to go despite your intense fear. Yeah, you went late. Yeah, it's hard to kind of break in at that point. But you know what? Baby steps, right? So that, that's more of like a learning orientation. And so I think that that's, you know, if, if developing or embracing or trying out <laughs> learning orientation is often conducive for stepping outside your comfort zone. Yeah, that's great. Um, Ulysses is asking, I'm in sales and I'm afraid of making the phone call to ask for an appointment. Any specific needs to help me get over that fear? I think um, in sales. Now, no, by the way, I, 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 I struggle with sales too, you know. Um, um, 
I think, I don't know, and, and maybe I'm not the very best person to answer this question, but I think it really matters um, to have that sense of conviction that we talked about. Like, like, why is this important? Why is what I am selling, quote unquote selling, important? Like, why does that matter? How am I potentially helping someone with something, right? And if you can understand the significance of what you're doing, the meaning of what you're doing, I think it ends up being a little bit easier, right? Um, so, so that's, that's, that's what I would say. Great. Um, the last question we have so far is from Jess. I just became a manager of three people that used to be my peers. I'm having trouble figuring out how to gain their respect as a new boss. I don't want a micromanager come down hard, but I think I need to be more assertive because they're not hitting deadlines. Any advice as a new manager or for new managers? Wow, that's a that's a tough one, right? Um, I guess I guess the 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 question that I would have would be, I mean, this part of that question is sort of like a strategic question for the best way to build trust among a team as a new manager, right? That that's 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 one way to look at the question. Another way to look at the question is, um, are there aspects of that strategy, like 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 this thing, that thing, whatever it might be, whether it might be coming down hard, whether it might be asserting yourself, whether it might be, I don't know, loosening up and being more, you know, disclosing more about yourself personally and being more vulnerable. Whatever, whatever, you, whatever you deem the strategy to be, which parts of that are outside your comfort zone, right? That's the question that I would have, which is, you know, like they're two separate pieces. One piece is what, what might be the most effective strategy and the other piece is what about that strategy might be a stretch for you. So that, right. that, that, that's how, that's, that's at least a way I would start to think about that question. Yeah, maybe they're scared they're not going to be liked anymore or something like Could that. Could be, right. Right, right. Um, well, that is the last and final question. So thank you so much, Andy, for joining us today. And thank you, everybody, for coming on today on the webinar. I know it's Friday, and hopefully you have some fun uh, plans for the weekend. Can I, can I uh, say one thing? Can I, yeah, can I, can I, can I so, so, so I know there are a bunch of people out there, and I'd love, I'd love to um, – um, connect with you. So, so if, you know, I, I, I don't know if you're going to mention, but I have a website, which is uh, com, which is my spelling, my name. Um, and I, and my emails there, and I, I love to hear from folks and, and, you know, please, please, please link up and, and, and I'd love to continue the conversation. Yeah, there's some great resources I saw on your site, something on culture, a little cheat sheet there so they can download. And then I saw also your book reach it's out on Amazon. So yep. if they want to dive in, if you want to dive in a little bit more about this comfort zone, um, yep. outside of it, go to his, uh, to Amazon and get his book and read it. It's a good one. Cool. Uh, so anyway, thank you everyone. If you want to share the recording of this webinar with your colleagues or friends, keep an eye out. We will send you an email on how to get the recording. We put all of our recordings into LeadX Academy. You can get a free three-day trial with access to over 30 webinars and courses, and we'll send you information on that shortly. So um, thank you again and have a great weekend. Bye, everyone. Friends, if you like this episode of the LeadX Leadership Podcast, please take a minute, leave a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. Ratings are invaluable for attracting new listeners. And I like to convert those listeners into leaders because, you know, I'm on a mission to spark 100 million leaders in the next 10 years. And if you want to become the boss everyone fights to work for and nobody wants to leave, Check out the LeadX platform with Coach Amanda at leadx.org. And if you have 10 or more managers who could use some binge-worthy training, send me an email at info at leadx.org, L-E-A-D-X dot O-R-G, and we'll talk about getting you set up 
with a totally free pilot for those managers. See if they like it. If they don't, that's fine. We go away, part as friends. But if they love it, you've just found yourself a new resource for them. Remember, leadership is influence. You're always leading. How are you gonna lead today?